0: Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rossella. Got a good one today. Jennifer Houston is on the show. She's a casting director. You might not know her name, but you definitely know her work. Orange is the New Black, Glow, Girls, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Jennifer's got a lot to say. It's an interesting interview. I'll talk more about that in a second. First, I just want to talk about coronavirus, because that's that's what we do on this show. That's a part of it, right? That's how we ended up in this this quarantine, this shutdown, at least in the entertainment industry. I just don't feel like we're talking about it enough anymore. I remember when this show started, it was like mid-May, and we weren't quite to 80,000 deaths. And at the time, I was thinking, 80,000 people? That is insane. That is a huge amount of people. I mean, that that's bigger than most football stadiums. And now we're at 125,000 deaths. Plus. 125,000 people have died from COVID-19, and I just feel like we're all getting a little complacent here. Everybody wants to go out. Everyone wants to live their normal life, and I just want to remind everybody that this isn't over. This is still happening, and that normal, it's not the time for it, you know? I was talking to my parents over the weekend, and I, th- I think I've said something like this on the show before, but... I I kind of, in my head, think of this like a hurricane. Imagine a hurricane that's just blowing rain and wind and stuff at your house. You don't get up in the middle of a hurricane and say, Boy, I'd like a haircut. Boy, I'd like to go to the Olive Garden. Guess I'll just go outside. I guess it's safe now. Because what would happen? You go outside, you get blown away. You get rained on. Nobody's looking at... Uh, at a hurricane and saying, well, it's the time to go out. I can't sit home anymore, but that's what we're doing with this virus. And it's in places where it wasn't before. It's in Florida, like crazy. It's in Texas, like crazy. All over the Midwest, all over the South. It was really reassuring to me in the beginning of all this, when everybody across the country kind of did their duty and stayed home and tried to stop the spread of this. Everyone realized that there was a piece of self-sacrifice for the greater good, that if you stay home, you lessen the possibility of a hospital getting overrun with patients, of an ICU that doesn't have enough beds, doesn't have enough ventilators. That was the rhetoric happening in March and April. I think everybody understood that. Most people obeyed that. Flash forward to end of June, and it's the complete opposite. Everybody wants to go do their stuff. But it's not a normal time. If you're looking at the data, if you're Governor Abbott in Texas or Governor DeSantis in Florida, and you're seeing these numbers go up, you should be shutting down the businesses like we were in March and April. And we should be paying people to stay home. We should be giving them good unemployment benefits, good other benefits. There's no reason for us to be out and about right now with this virus running rampant. And it just feels like we're over that as a, as a society. I'm not personally, but I feel like a lot of people around me are. And the 4th of July is coming up. And I hope everyone just realizes it's not normal this year. Yeah, you probably do want to go to the beach. You probably do want to go to wherever you go. I don't know. Vacation. This isn't the time to do it. It's a different thing. If there were a hurricane on the 4th of July, you wouldn't say, well... Fuck it, I'm going to the fireworks. I know it's raining, but what are you going to do? It's the 4th of July. This will be the first year I haven't seen the fireworks. No, if it's raining on the 4th of July, you reschedule them, you do something else. I know it sucks, but that's where we are. So I hope everybody out there is staying safe. I hope you're following all the guidelines social distancing, wearing a mask, washing your hands. Nothing has changed since March and April when that was the guidance. It's only gotten worse. And I just hope people aren't getting too complacent. So Jennifer Houston, I was so excited for this conversation and and I say it to her in this piece, but my background, if you, if you've listened to the show, you know, I worked at this whole house for many years and it's nonfiction. So we didn't work with a casting director. We didn't do traditional casting like a narrative project would. And so I have no idea what that process is like for me. Casting was partially about who the people were, but it was also about the projects they had in their house. It was also about the age and style and location of their house and getting the logistics to work out with other shoots you were scheduling. And when you work in the narrative world, casting is so important and it's such an art form. And Jennifer does it better than almost anybody out there. And she's got a couple Emmy Awards to prove that too. Orange is the New Black, Glow, Girls. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Lots of incredible shows that she's worked on. And what I liked about this conversation too is it wasn't just about casting. We talk a lot about that, but she's also an old movie buff. We talk a lot about old movies and just sort of hearing her side of what led her into this business. Because in a lot of ways, it was very familiar to me. I grew up watching a lot of TV and just sort of dreaming about how it all worked and and wanting to Wanting to know how the magic trick was done and wanting to perform that trick for myself. I mean, I knew since I was probably seven or eight years old that I wanted to, to work in television. And the same for Jennifer. She's a movie nerd, a movie buff, and she figured out how to turn it into a career. Jennifer's working on a show now that we talk about at the end with Genji Kohan, who was the, uh, the creator and executive producer of Orange is the New Black. They're working on a new show all about the quarantine. So that was exciting too. So here is my interview. With casting director Jennifer Houston, So let's start with uh, just talking about sort of how the quarantine's been going for you.
1: For me personally or just in the state of the world? or All of the
0: above, yeah. Take, take the question however you want, I guess.
1: All right. Well, let's say well, with work, okay? So sure. let's start with work because this should be more about work anyway and not really my own political and soci- sociological beliefs. So in terms of casting, because I'm a casting director, uh, everything shut down. Yep you know very very early uh even before the city shut down you know in terms of casting i really don't know when um we'll be able to open and do regular old-fashioned casting you know having people in the room yeah you know i i mean i don't foresee that happening until there's a vaccine right just because we you know casting offices are small usually and not very well ventilated and um and people are sitting on top of each other in the waiting room. And then you go into a room to tape and there's multiple people in there. And, you know, especially in New York where I cast, there's usually not like, you know, a, a huge room where you could have like six feet between people and producers and actors. Sure. So, yeah.
0: yeah. And you, you're just
1: talking the whole time. So there's just a lot of.
0: Right. You know, everything's airborne. to and
1: transmit it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you think production could return before the traditional casting process could? Or are they both kind of intertwined no, at this point?
1: We don't know. You know, I mean. Right. LA said you can start reopening stuff and I'm sure that people are going to try to experiment with different ways and cause that's all we can do right now. Cause it's right. such a territory. So I think actors should just be careful about what they're signing up for and agreeing to just for insurance reasons. You know, people have to sign waivers and with the possibility, you know, that they could get sick, you sure. know, cause yeah, nobody yeah. can guarantee. I mean, if you've ever been on a set, they're packed right. to the gills with, with humans and you're on top of each other. And so it would have to be a real kind of skele- skeleton crew, a couple actors. I don't know how they would portray intimacy and even being close to each other, even within, you know, speaking distance right. that looks normal, that looks you know normal or, or, from the before times, yeah, I, I'm very hesitant in terms of when it's gonna, when they're going to be able to shoot things. Yeah. I think people are very, are, are, I think the nature of a lot of the people in Hollywood is to be optimistic and we could do this and you know hope for the best. But I am a pessimist by nature and um, and cynical and I just don't personally see it happening.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the more realistic the view, future. too, though, right? It's, it, you yeah. know, you can call it yeah. pessimistic, but I feel like it's just, it's looking at no, the data and saying, here's yeah. here's what's happening. <laughs> well, Let's, that's
1: what I look at. It's yeah. science. Right. I mean, the virus is going to tell us when it's going to be safe to do anything. And honestly, until there's a vaccine, I, I don't know how you could feel safe going to a set, you yeah. know, in any, in any capacity as a... As a PA or a boom operator or an actor, you know. But there's been, I mean, I've heard all. I mean, there's there's been articles written about it and all different sorts of proposals, you know, just like for like if you do an indie movie and quarantine the people and shoot it in three weeks, you know, and put them right. all in the same hotel and take everybody's temperature and get everybody tested. I mean, you know, there's protocols, I guess, you could put in place, but it just seems so. It just seems unrealistic to me, you know, and and I don't know what studio is going to open up their gates to start functioning again or sound stages, because it's not just, you know, it's not just crew people that work on lots, you know, you have security guards, you have, you know, maintenance staff, you have, I mean, you have, there's so many different jobs, right. you know. Yeah. So just the logistical
0: if, challenges of all that, right. It's yeah, it's so many yeah. people just all on yeah. top of each other. And
1: that, yeah. That that aren't even on like shooting, you know, or aren't even so, so I, I don't have a lot of hope that it's going to open up very fast, not before the end of the year, certainly, but that's just me. That's my opinion, you know, so, um, like to any, to shoot anything and especially not television, because again, you can't, you know, for, you can't quarantine people or, you know, isolate people for, for months from their family to right. shoot, you know, to 13 do, yeah, episodes yeah, of something. 13, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah or exactly. 422 if you're like a network show. Right. So this is just all my, my opinion. And, uh, and, but I, I, do be, I mean, it's just science for, for me, it's just looking at numbers and science and especially since the numbers have been going up in LA exponentially of cases right now, Right. but it's been, you know, not good. Um, really not good. Even as as, as things are reopening, right? You know. So if you can't even reopen restaurants or salons or gyms or whatever they're opening, I don't know how you open a, a, a you know a set or a studio or what have you. We will see. But in terms of casting, we can't tr- open up a trad- traditional casting office, of course. But with the the dawn of technology, <laughs> we're able to do a lot via the internet and Zoom and FaceTime and all sorts of things, you know, yeah. You, I can I can cast something when, so that when they're ready to shoot, they have the cast, but we can do it um, all virtually.
0: Right. I, I've talked to some actors on the show that, you know, one of the guys I talked to had sort of seen this trend even prior to, to sort of the quarantine and stuff that there, there, there were it seemed like there were more more casting was moving online or at least, you know, sending in reels and things like that prior to all this, were you still doing kind of in-person casting sessions? Oh, yeah. or had you, you oh, The yeah. virtual is completely new for you. Oh, no, no. It's
1: not, it's not completely new. I mean, it's always been used in some capacity. I mean, yeah. going back, I mean, I started in 1997. So, you know, people would still self-tape in 97. It would just be VHS tapes, yeah. you know. So self-taping isn't a new concept yeah. in, a, in any way. The way people can do it now and that instead of FedExing VHS from New York to L.A., as a self tape or you know whatever um, we can just send it a link you know right. and people just do it so fast in their home that you can just iPhone, a, iPhone record a audition at this point you know but no I still in my I mean in my work we still have traditional casting sessions right. there's something about you know being in the room and the energy in the room it goes both ways you know because Orange is the New Black every role was cast off tape Genji was in LA and I was in New York Yeah, so you're you can still cast a show if it's just being cast off tape i'm still seeing the people in person i mean there is still i'm still there's still a human factor in it you know and they're coming into my office but their tapes are being watched and that's how they're being cast in terms of it being a, a trend i mean maybe other offices were using it more um i only used it if somebody was out of town or if they couldn't make their appointment physically but i still wanted to make sure they get considered sure. they were considered i'd have i'd be like just sell just tape yourself at home and send it in you know just to make sure that they didn't miss the boat yeah you know? but
0: i'm sure it, it, it is a difference you know having them in the room or even now like with zoom or something if an actor self-tapes and they miss something in the interpretation of the character or you know you see it and you say oh i wish they tried it this way you know, oh, they... I'll
1: just have them. I'll just have them retape. Okay. So, th- so I've done that in the past too, gotcha. you know, like, so they'll send the tape to me when I see that they didn't do it right, or they missed it, or misinterpreted it, or I can have them, I can, know, I can give them a direction that'll make the tape better. Yeah. I just, I just make them retape. So that's right. what I do. That's okay. still my job before I show it to producers, because I want to present the best of, of um of any actor right. at any point. So I don't, I don't, at least in my, in my office you know, if you send me a self tape and it's not bad, I'm not, I'm not just going to be, I mean, if it's bad, I'm not just going to be like, Oh, well too bad. That's it for you. You know, (laughs) I'll I'll call them and let them know, you know, what, what we're you know what they're looking for, maybe what they could do differently, play right, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah, I'll just get I'll just get on the phone with them personally, you know, and just let them know.
0: Well, so yeah. I'm I'm excited to talk to you just because this is a whole different world for me. Like my background, I, I'm a producer and director, but on the lifestyle side, I, I worked at This Old House primarily for the last like 15 years, and oh, cool. you know, yeah. So it's all you know, reality lifestyle. Um, we're casting as producers, we're doing the casting, but some of the other considerations are like, you know, how the house is and what the project is, you know, so it's, it's kind of this holistic process. I haven't worked on the narrative side at all. So kind of the whole casting process is is new for me. I'm just, I, I want to back up for a minute and just sort of talk about how you got into it and just sort of what led you to thinking it was a viable career
1: i have always known since i was pretty i mean, I, I mean we're, we're talking you know seven eight years old that i was going to work on movies like yeah. i just i just knew i was just a very a, a strange weird child that just kind of was sucked into films and, and television it was just like oh i want to do that i yeah. want to but i didn't want to act i've I had you know i had paralyzing stage fright and i i would never you know think i could get up in front of people and do anything but i wanted to make it you know right. and uh so but i didn't but back then i mean this is in the 80s and stuff you know i the only thing back then was you, the jobs you knew were like writers and directors and actors like sure. there was no you know really knowledge and when i knew that i could major i could go to college for for film i uh I just, I just, I sort of was just kind of just really driven and just sort of had my like blinders on and I just had like one. Goal was like, I was going to do this, you know. And I live in New Jersey. I went to NYU and I said, but I didn't want to, do, I didn't want to take the film program there.
0: yeah
1: um I wanted because I was, you know, I want, I'm sort of an academic and I love science. I, I double majored in cinema studies and anthropology. So oh, cool. I wanted to study film history and I, and I, and I love science. So I wanted my education not to be just like, you know, four kids going out in the street with a camera and like shooting something. I right. wanted to, I knew that I could get the practical experience doing internships so that's what i did i had no life i had no college life because i was like doing 18 credits a semester work study job a regular job internship every semester i just knew that i i i, I had to do this you yeah. know and um so but i didn't know what part i was gonna fall into i was i was investigating script supervisors editing um all the different things to see where i fit in just interning and on a movie and i fell into casting and I, and I had figured out, I just came home one day, I was there during a summer internship. And I, I told my mom, I was like, I think I'm supposed to do casting. And she was like, oh God, help us. Um, <laughs> and cause we all, my whole family, we have like a freakish, weird memory. We all love film and television. We uh-huh. sort of, that's what we bonded over growing up. You know, we didn't go on a lot of vacations or have a lot of money. So our, our family time was, you know, sharing film and TV and stuff like that. And, awesome. uh, so that was something that was really important to all of us and we all and my all my whole family, my mom and dad and my sister, we all had this freakish memory for actors and and films, like we could just recall things. And I just made it into something I could do for a job because back then there was no internet, there was no IMDb. Yeah. And if I could make a list of actors, you know, of and not even that like famous actors or char- you know cuz we would we would sort of clock character actors that we loved. You know, our actor, our favorite actors weren't necessarily the movie stars, you know. So and i had been watching old films and studying films from the 30s and 40s, you know, since oh, I was wow. high school. Yeah. So we all kind of had this this talent for it, and I was just able to make it into a, a career because even as an assistant, if I could recall something really fast, like if you're having a discussion with another casting director or producer, and they're like, "What was that guy who was in that thing?" and I could just say the name and the movie it was a value, you sure. know, because you couldn't just look it up. And, you know, when I was a kid in like in high school and stuff, it was sort of like a, like a party trick, you know, it was just like, Jen, name every movie, you know, Anthony Hopkinson or Jen, who's everybody been up the whole cast in this movie, you know? Yeah, and I worked, right. I worked in a video store, high school and college, uh, like a mom and pop video store in my town. And I was surrounded by it. So knowing that was a commodity, uh, I was, you know, I, I actually did an internship in, 96 in uh, LA. Cause I want to see what LA was like. Cause yeah. that was like, that was like my dream was to go there. So I was, I found a way to go there with school <laughs> and um, I did an internship at universal television and a great casting director, Megan Brandman just sort of taught me how to do everything because you can't go to school for casting. It has to be like, it, it's, it's, a, you have to learn it from another casting director, right. you know? And she taught me everything. And I came back and when I graduated the only TV show in 97 that was shooting in the city was uh, Law and & Order, and it happened to be a Universal TV show. So Megan called over to the Universal casting directors and said, if you need an assistant, you know, you could just hire Jen. She doesn't have to intern. Because that was my whole goal, too, upon graduating college, because I had student loans and, you know, I, I couldn't just graduate and then intern, you know. Right. And that's why I did them all while I was in college, because I needed to start making a living, all the, be it a very small living when you start in casting. And throughout casting, it's not you know you don't go into casting for the money, um, but I needed a job. You know I wasn't going to just graduate and intern. And um, so I did that for a year. And I just coincidentally we were on the same floor as um, Martin Scorsese's uh, production office at the time, Caffe Productions. And Ellen Lewis was the casting director, and she was finishing up um, bringing out the dead. And she was working out of Marty's office. And we, my friend Marcia, who also worked with me, we. Knew her, um, just by you know talking to her in the hallways and stuff like that. And Ellen had to go cast another movie, you know, not a not a Martin Scorsese movie, but another movie. And Marcia went with her. And then they called me and said, Do you want to come and work with us? So I said yes, because movies was always my, you know, my first love. Right. So I stayed. I was with Ellen for almost like seven and a half years, I think, because it's an apprenticeship at that point. Then yeah. you know, if you're if you're lucky that somebody likes you and wants to keep you and wants to teach you. That's what you do. Yeah, you're learning a <laughs> so, craft.
0: I mean, that's it's, it's craftsmanship. Craft. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's 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 a it's a skill, and it's and again, it's not taught, and it and really it can't be taught. You have to learn it through experience. You have to learn it through osmosis. You have to just do it. My reactions are gut reactions. I can't explain to you why I think somebody is going to be you know is going to be right for the part. I just right. feel it. You know, it's a, it's a it's in my gut. Like yeah. I, I literally feel it in my stu- You know, in my gut when I'm like, okay, I got it. All right good so, you know like I and don't what are you
0: to. what are you looking for at that point like is it is it partially just sort of the the character on the page but I, i'm sure another piece of it must just be working with the director or in the case of tv the showrunner like figuring out sort of how that that whole crew is going to gel together too right uh
1: that's part of it yeah i mean i you know i've inherited many from different wonderful people i've worked with like a no assholes policy so that that's a factor in it for me you know yeah. i don't want to you i don't want to I don't want to introduce a person into a set, especially on a TV show where you're there forever, you know, somebody who may have, you know, we know is misbehaves or has a bad reputation, yep. like or a bad work ethic or you know any of the things. So, or it's just a dick. You know what I mean? <laughs> to right. be quite frankly, you know, to just be honest, you with spend you. a
0: lot of time with these people. So yeah, yeah, it's... and
1: and I'm lucky to have over the years because it's like you know it's pushing. 26 years I've been doing this, you know, you learn, you learn about everybody, Every, especially in New York, which is a small community. You, you figure stuff like that out. So I always want, I want, I mean, it's a combination. I want actors that I love and I've been fans of for a year. I'm a, I'm a fan of actors before I'm anything else. Yeah. Like that's just, that's just always. I'm a fangirl of shows and and movies, and so I'm always on the actor's side, and I'm always rooting for them. So in terms of the process, yeah, I mean, you you pray that you get to work with people that has the same that have the same taste as you. That is the ultimate goal in casting is that you have form relationships with directors or producers throughout your career where you you work together a lot and you have a shorthand and and you and it you know it just kind of gels like any other creative relationship. You know that they would have with their DP or with their editor or anything like that.
0: Yeah. Um, and as so, you say, you're so you're so early in the process that you know that that relationship I'm sure is critical, just because you're you're kind of helping launch the whole thing, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you're yeah you're cre- you're you're creating the the you know you're giving them the the biggest instruments they're going to be using in their piece in yeah. their in their you know what they're using it, the the human beings that are going <laughs> to bring it to life. So you just pray that you uh are lucky enough to work with people that trust you. And it's also about trust, you know, like I they have to trust me to know what I'm doing and that I've I've scoured the land, I've seen everybody, I know, you know, trust my taste, you know, trust my instincts. And I trust them, you know, to be to be good souls, to be creative, to be interesting, to be open minded and let me, you know, say i know you kind of wrote it like this but what if we put somebody like this in it you know yeah. what would you say to that and i've been really fortunate with the people i've been able to work with where they've said hey that might be cool you know and, right. like, and um and it may change things but and and hope maybe in for the better you know so that's the dream scenario in any you know in any i think in any creative situation but to be in a situation where you're not scared to say you know to 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 say, maybe bring up somebody who's so random and so out of the box, you know, there would be other producer directors who would, who would, um, hold it against you. Right. It's about, it's about working with the people that would would want you to think, you know, want you to think like that and expect you to think like that, you know?
0: And it can change the whole project. It can send it in a completely different direction (laughs) that surprises everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious too. Just thinking about sort of some of the shows that that you've been on: Orange is the New Black, uh, Girls, uh, Glow, where it's these ensemble casts. Like, how important is getting that ensemble right from the beginning? And how much work does that? T- like, you can't just think of each actor as an individual. I'm sure, right? You're thinking about how they're going to play off of each other too.
1: I mean, not necessarily. No, I actually, what I do is, I mean, I know it sounds weird, but I mean, I just, I I believe that if you get the person, the best person for each role, then it's just gonna, it is just gonna gel because we don't know, you know, and we don't do a lot of chemistry reads on a lot of those projects. We've done a couple like with the leads and stuff. You'll do some chemistry reads, but there's no huge ensemble chemistry reads. It's really, you know, it's, it's just a shot in the dark kind of, um, okay. I mean, and for me on Orange, I knew all those ladies, you know, yeah. and I, I've known them for years. and I know they're all good people and I love them. And and thankfully, they all got along glow even more so. I mean, that was so curated and so special. And, I you know, I've known so many of those ladies and they were super close. You know, there's they're like a, a really tight cast. And that's the dream that that happens, you know, but I think it's by filling those ensembles with people that they're not kind of consumed with themselves they care about other people they they support other actors and actresses you know and promote other you know their friends and those are those are the kind of people like i like to to um give opportunities to you know people that don't just are desperate to just take have take all the limelight you know you want people that are going to work want the like wanna work with each other, you right. know? And and especially in Glow, it was such a trust thing because these girls are throwing each other around and the first couple of days we're shooting. I mean right. they're really, you know, so with Glow it was very special because I mean I knew all those girls before this, you know, like the, and I knew I was friendly with them and I knew what kind of people they were and it's like, oh well, I could trust, you know, I, I know that, you know, Kate Nash is gonna be awesome and Betty Gill you know is so sweet. Like I know all these people. So you just like like attracts like in a lot of ways, so I kind of feel like that's maybe my strategy, yeah, um I don't know. It's not a conscious one if there is, okay, yeah, I, I mean, I know that's hard to describe you, I, I do think you just pray you right. just pray <laughs> that everybody gets along, you know,
0: well, when you're getting to know people though, like are you bringing them in first as guest stars or or day players on other roles and then sort oh, of yeah, that, yeah I mean, these, of, are, okay. these
1: are these are people I've been seeing since I was an intern, gotcha. you know, and since I was a casting assistant when I was 20 or 21, either we were the same age or they were older than me. And when you're, you know, and I worked consistently, I never was out of work. Right. So we would have sessions every single day and we would bring in a lot of the same people, especially in New York where the community was so small. And if you're working on a couple of projects where I did pilot season, uh, about five pilot seasons for um for fox studios with marcia de bonos as a casting director and pilot season is like it's like learning every actor in three months it's like sort of like cramming in every actor in new york in yeah, three months right? and then and you bring some of them in every single day for different pilots and so you really get to know people because they're sitting because when you're an assistant you're sitting outside you know you're sitting there. You're in the waiting room, basically. Right. And you just start to you see how they behave in the waiting room. You see how they treat other people and you see they have they treat you, you know. And it's, it's that thing where, you know, actors that come in and don't even acknowledge an assistant if, you know, any actor wants a tip. Right. <laughs> those assistants are going to be your casting director someday. So yeah. you should be kind and um not like ask kissing kind but acknowledge that they're people too you know they're they're people and that they may be deciding if you get a job in 20 years or not
0: right and, and i feel like that it's that way across the board in this industry <laughs> like the p.a.s oh, yeah. become the producers uh, and you know the a.c.s become yeah, the d.p.s and, 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 and
1: yeah and you always knew who the good directors were because they would come in and they talked to you like a human being right. you know or the good or the good agents or the good managers it, it's across the board i mean i had agents that were horrible to me because i was i wasn't anybody i was right. i was just an assistant you know and then i had agents and managers who treated me you know like like a like a Appear peer or just just like a human being sometimes you just want right. to be treated you know kindly and like how you treat them and those are people you don't forget that when you're in the position that I was you know and so there's a the little mom and pop agencies that have been sweet to me since I was 20 years old I will see any of their actors any of them they don't yeah. even have you know it's like they'll be like would you see yeah set them up not a problem you know so I think that's really important too you yeah. know
0: yeah I, I've, I've heard that a lot on this show of just sort of you know, no matter what the role is uh, in the industry, sort of that importance of being kind to everybody and just, you know, not knowing sort of who you're going to need to count on later. And as you say, not doing it, you know, in an ass kissy way or just to, you know, like no, just just being like genuinely when, kind to people. Yeah,
1: it's just like when you, it's like who raised these people. It's just like when you go out with somebody and if they treat like the waiter or the wait staff or yeah. the, you know, ser- service terribly then you're like you, it tells a lot about a person you know and I think you, that's applicable to any kind of facet in in this industry too you know yeah no, nobody's above nobody has like who's so great that they have the right to treat somebody poorly you know right we're not doing brain surgery here you know this isn't like nasa or neuroscience right. it's, <laughs> it's not it's life like, or
0: death yeah it's no it's TV, no it's, it's, yeah, film, it's yeah
1: exactly and I think that I think knowing that at a young age was really good for me too but in terms of me knowing people and knowing ensembles you know I know thousands of actors just through just time you know yeah and and repeated and then repeatedly coming in for years you get to know people then you get to know you know who they partner with or who they marry and then you get to know their kids and then their kids grow up and are actors and you know that's the point I'm at now like you know actresses that would come in When I was in my twenties, or who had babies back then, their babies are actors, and I'm casting them.
0: That's so cool. You know,
1: and it's like, yeah, it's it's really kind of wonderful to to know that and and to share that. Yeah, you know. And again, this is very New York specific. We have a smaller community. Sure. I have it in LA. I've worked in LA. I've lived in LA. Um, But for me, this is very New York specific. You know, so. Not that this doesn't happen in L. A. either, but it—I don't know. There's a different vibe in New York when it comes to that, you know.
0: Yeah, well, I'm curious too. Like, sort of, as as people are coming up, like, how often are you going out to see either Broadway shows or you know, small theater things? Or okay, so yeah, you know, the theater community as well too. Okay.
1: Oh yeah. I love theater. I, I, I mean the theater community is where I cast orange, you know, wow. like that, that's where I drew from really because you know, when I was casting orange, I mean, there was no Netflix, you know, like I was still getting DVDs in the mail right. and I didn't know what this was. It I was knew one I of the liked... first
0: shows, right. Oranges. Yeah. The, was... They
1: don't, they'd yeah. only announced, um, house of cards Yep. and that had, you know, famous people attached to it. Right. And A famous director. And then this came up and I had never met Genji. I actually, we Skyped uh, Genji and Tara Herman and uh, Mark Burley, her producers, because they had watched Girls and they, um, that's how I got the job. You know, I never, I didn't meet them in person first. And I didn't, and I let, you know, I, I liked the script. I hadn't read the book. I did, but I I thought I was making a web series. I didn't know what this was, you know? And, and because we didn't know what this was, it was also hard to explain to actors and agents what it was. So I got a lot of passes, <laughs> like lots of passes on the pilot and in the first season, because we couldn't show them what it was, you right. know? Um, but it gave me the opportunity to bring in, and because it was such a, uh, just a variety of menagerie of all different kinds of actors and actresses of all shapes and sizes and, Ethnicities, you know, and, and and everything you can imagine was even really in the pilot and the and the first season. Those are the actors that work in theater, right. you know, because all the TV they could get, especially at the time, were if they were lucky, a day player role to play like nurse number one, right. you know, or Two like or three
0: lines, teacher
1: number three, or right. something, you know. And so I, I had the script where these characters had names and they were going to have storylines and. I could cast, you know, black women and, and Asian women and trans women wow. and I'm uh, just every anything you could think of and give them real substantial stories. And thankfully, I go to tons of theater. I love theater. I love theater casting directors. I think they do an amazing job, you know, getting talent out there. And I was able to just you know um, take from those reserves for a, a 20 years you know yeah and uh put them in, on an orange which was great
0: sure you know and i want to talk about that for a minute too just sort of i feel like we're in this moment now especially sort of with this resurgence of black lives matter uh, after you know george floyd's killing and all this of a lot of people in in the in the industry sort of having to to look at their own hiring patterns and say you know can i do better can i can i be more diverse and i feel like you've been on that for, you know, the last five or 10 years. Like this isn't new for yeah. you to say, you no, know, we need more. It yeah. isn't,
1: but we can always do better. Anybody yeah. can always do better. I can do better. I I don't think that it's, I always even said at the beginning, you know, I, I that it's, it's start. It kind of was starting, but it was going to be, an, it was going to be slow, yeah. you know, if, because it's going to evolve, it has to evolve somehow. And yeah, I mean, I still, I still can do better. I'm, I'm so glad I have, I had opportunities and I had, and I had producers that were very open to me. And when I, you know, would send them people, you know, of all different (laughs) races or, you know, everything that it wasn't, you know, they would be like, oh, cool. Yeah, let's do this. Let's you know. And and so I was met with, thankfully, for most of the time uh, they were open to it. But not everybody has that luxury, you know, and there are people and there are producers and directors that will be like. No, this is a white role or this is a I, this, I need this, you know, or I'm going to cast a stereotypical role and it has to be a black person, you know, and it's, it, it you know, I mean, that still happens and everybody has to do better. You know, right. it's not just us. I mean, we don't have the casting doesn't have the final say on things, you know, so I think people don't understand that, too, that even though we've been trying, cause I'm not the only one who's been trying either. I've just had really responsive you know, progressive, you know, directors and producers to work with. Right. But uh, casting direct, more casting directors than you know will say, "Can we go black on this role? Can we go Latinx on this role? Can we go and changing, you know, gender too? You know, I mean, and we've always been doing that. It's just at the end of the day, you know, the producers and the directors and the studios and the networks will make that decision.
0: Right. Do you so, feel like the shift to streaming has changed any of it? Like, uh, I feel like there have been, especially on Netflix just voices of color represented in ways and not just black, but, you know, kind of across the spectrum.
1: Well, I think that was, I think that was, was Netflix. That's part of Netflix thing, but I also feel that it was because for the demand for content, you know? And, and so I think the intersection of that and just what's been going on with what was going, starting to go on socially um, and streaming and social media and the rise of the internet, It all kind of was like the perfect storm, you know, to get more voices heard, but it's still not enough. Right. It has to, you have to start seeing it on the the channels that maybe people can't subscribe to, you know, people who just have a TV and have channel, you know, have just the main four networks, you know, it has to be there and it has to be more. And Uh, I don't know when that shift is going to happen. Right. You know, you can't just play one show that has divert like this is us and say, "Oh, well, look what we did!" Right, and pat yourselves on your back, and that's the end of it. You yeah. know, Yeah,
0: you know, it's got to be a bigger, bigger structural change, and uh, not just and, in, fi- and yeah. in
1: film too, and in film too,
0: definitely, and not just kind of racial diversity, but we touched on a little bit, but sort of LGBTQ um, casting. Oh, I, and, I, yeah, I mean,
1: I don't even know if we can use diversity anymore in terms of ethnicity, but I, I, my idea of diversity was never just racial; it was also it was, I mean, gender too, but also, you know, people with different body shapes or who look different or disabled yeah. actors right. or, um, you know, not your conventionally beautiful actors yeah. or, you know, people people that were interesting, people that had something different about them. To me, that is all-encompassing, you know? I right. mean, that to me was always what I, I always said. Like, I just love casting all shapes and sizes and colors and I just like making it and and and, you know whatever made somebody different or an individual was what was going to, which was going to stand out and tell a story, you know, it's about representation so that people at home can see themselves in stories and characters, you know, and that's, it's really important. So,
0: well, and and what I wanted to ask too was just sort of casting Laverne Cox in Orange is the New Black, (laughs) like, that I feel like casting her did so much for trans representation and just sort of normalization, maybe, I don't know if that's the right word, but just sort of getting people to understand what a transgendered person is and, you know, get, get comfortable with that idea. Yeah. It, have having, having her in a, in a mainstream show like this, it opened people's eyes, I think in a way that it would be hard to, if it was just an ab- an abstract concept. Right.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, Laverne's, hard not to love yep. she's extremely intelligent she's beautiful she's strong and i the Verne before the show yeah. you know i i i was casting a movie where we were the director wasn't sure if we were going to cast a transgender woman or if he just wanted the character to be a guy who uh you know man who was thinking about transitioning but hadn't really gone done anything yet you know and so and this was in 2012 you know so i had done already done a lot of research and at least and there weren't a ton of actors and also for orange i needed um someone who was who was uh black you know um if that was very specific to the story so um you know there weren't it wasn't like you put out a breakdown or you you know could go online and google just all the black transgender actors out there you know there it, it wasn't they weren't represented by agents. They weren't, you know, I mean, it was, it wasn't a time where now, you know, there's just so much more, thankfully there's, it's just so much more visibility, you know? Um, But, uh, but I read the script and I read the role of Sophia and I'm like, Oh, that's Laverne. Like that was honestly, that was like the easiest role for me to cast because, (laughs) because I was like, she's the best, she's the best you know, that I've read and yeah. I go and, and she'll be fantastic in this, you know? And so for me, it was just, you know, I just brought her in, put her on tape and that was that, you know? So it wasn't like I, the hardest person to cast an orange was, was Taylor was the pretty white girl, you yeah. know? But uh, Laverne was uh, sort of a revelation, you know, in so many ways. And like I said, with anybody I ever cast, I just open a door. They have to do all the work. You know, yeah. they're, they're the ones that have to go out in on that set. They're the ones that have to endure all the conditions, all the positive or negative, you know, uh, responses. I, I just open a door. You know, that's all I can't. That's all. that's all I can do. And I was happy and proud to do it for Laverne because I knew she was going to go kick some ass. And yeah. she did. And she's a great woman.
0: I want to ask you too, just sort of you talked about watching movies a lot as a kid and, you know, just sort of growing up in that cinema space. Like when you're watching a movie, (laughs) like my mind goes to sort of how did they get that shot? You know, like how did they light it? What kind of camera rig are they using? Do you watch a movie with casting in mind? And like, how do you appreciate good casting when you see it?
1: If something's cast really well, you don't see it. You know, just like when something is shot really well or edited really well. It's invisible. It looks effortless, you know, if that makes sense. Uh, Well, yeah, it does.
0: I I think to the audience, it should be invisible. But like...
1: Right. But but there's no bumps. There's There's no bumps. There's no kinks. There's no part while you're watching the story where somebody pops up that doesn't seem to fit and takes you out of the story. Right. That's good casting, you know. Um,
0: but like, do you see it from like a technical side at all? Do you look at it like? Uh,
1: no, is no, it? Is it? No, you don't no, get lost
0: no. in your craft when you're sitting in a th- no. In a theater. I don't. Okay. No.
1: No. Because I still love. Because film and television is still an escape for me. Yeah. You know. I mean, I I will now make note, but I was making note of good actors when I was younger too, so that really hasn't changed my process I just watch something and I go, oh damn, that person was so good but I was doing that when I was 10, you know when my my dad was showing me old movies and stuff and I, you know, I'd be like, oh you know, you just you just kind of I I would kind of hook on to people, you know and then I would, uh, then as a kid when I was not, you know, being paid or had any need to know who these people were, but I still wanted to know more I'd watch an old movie and I like it was I'd see my first Dana Andrews movie and I'd be like I love Dana Andrews and then yeah. I would go to the library and buy his autobiography or the biography and want to know everything about the person and know, watch all of his movies until I had him studied and I did that with every actor you know if they were leading actors or if they were character actors and I think my aesthetic in terms of faces cuz I love you know faces I think are just so important and And, um, on screen and I want interesting faces and real faces and, um, character actors. And that aesthetic came from watching films from the thirties and forties, you know? So, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I still have the luxury, I think thankfully that I can watch a TV show or a movie and just get lost in it the way I used to when I was younger, Yeah. still being aware, but still having, but I, like I said, I was still picking out actors when I was younger. So nothing is really. Changed except now I can say who was that? Write their name down, look them up, call their agent, and then meet with them or have them audition for something.
0: Right. So
1: it's a much more productive way, I guess, (laughs) of of watching a a show or a movie. So.
0: Well, let me ask then. I'm thinking just sort of about those films of the '30s and '40s, and sort of what what made them different. And my mind goes to sort of a lot of them are in black and white they're often very simple sets or, you know, shot against a canvas or something. It's kind of that pre-cinema scope Vista vision, you know, where everything yeah, had to yeah. get big and grand. And so I guess there probably was a lot more focus put onto the faces of the actors because that's going to be doing the hard work for you, right?
1: Right. It wasn't special effects. It wasn't like yeah. CGI. It was right. the acting and it was the characters. And back then for me... I take a great, I loved, I loved movies. For, I love screwball comedies as yeah. a genre. And then I love pre-code films probably that those were like my specialties in school when I was sure. studying you know, pre-code and uh, screwball comedies. I watched everything though. I mean, dramas didn't, I watched them all. Um, and it was fun watching, you know, screwball comedians do drama roles and and vice versa. And I mean, I, I do think I was born in the wrong time. So that has something to do with it, too. Yeah. Um, I've related to stories and I related to like those kind of emotions and different things that were happening and that kind of comedy. My dad kind of raised me in very uh old fashioned comedy. Yeah. Um, I was sort of, you know, placed in front of the television and said, Okay, now we're gonna watch Laurel and Hardy and yeah. now we're gonna watch all the Mel Brooks films. And now we're gonna watch, you know, all these west my mom loved westerns, you know. And I was kind of sat down by my parents just and they they had two very different taste they had very different tastes so I got both I got kind of the best of both you know
0: it's like film uh, school from an early age (laughs) that's that's really cool yeah
1: because they had great taste in film and thankfully I I just and my dad had great taste in music and sort of my mom and I I just sort of absorbed it all you know and so I always felt kind of kind of an anomaly in that way just because I I'm out of time you know I sort of my parents were they weren't my parents were you know had me when they were 25 they were young parents so they just wanted me to enjoy what they enjoyed, you know, yeah. especially my dad. And they, he wanted to show me like, what funny, you know, like just watch, you have to watch these, these classic people. Cause that's where all these people now are, you know, that's what comes before them. You have to, you have to know what's in the past, you know, sort of appreciate artists now i think um so there was a just a, it was just it was like a, it was being taught but it was also but i was enjoying it you right. know and i liked it and then when i was about four, 13 or 14 i started to really go off on my own because amc had just started that was a new cable channel sure yeah american american movie classics and they they are like what tcm is now that's right. what they used to be like they were there were no commercials there was intros and outros with old movies they didn't produce you know now they're producing show it's like a whole different thing you know right. And they, you know, they didn't colorize movies back then. They were, they were like the true, they were pure. And I would just, you know, find these gems on AMC, but I would also go to the library, my public library once a week because they had a huge VHS collection of old films and you could take five out a week. And I, and I, I was very, I was a very disciplined kid and I would watch five old movies a week as like homework, you know? So that by the time I got to NYU, that's why I was able to do like interns and in my work study job and my regular job, because I knew all the movies. I'd right. already seen all the movies that that were, were mandatory viewing for everybody else. I'd already seen all of them. <laughs> so it was like a little bit of a shortcut. So they've influenced me incredibly. And I think that, you know, again, it was just just pure luck and coincidence. I got to work with uh, Martin Scorsese's casting director because, you know, he's the biggest cinephile on the planet right. and film and film film historian that's it you know so getting to work on his movies was educational too because i knew exactly you know what he was looking for if he referred to old movie stars and stuff like that or yeah. movie and stuff because it was just and, and he i was he was my favorite and he he is my favorite director he was my favorite director. that's why i went to nyu was because mars cortesia went to nyu wow. um i used to make drag my parents because he was doing film restoration you know yep. back in the all the time so like in the late 80s and early 90s I would I would make my parents drive me down to like Rutgers in New Brunswick because he'd be he had, he'd be showing a restoration of a Michael Powell film or something and it would be him him and Thelma
0: wow.
1: speaking and stuff and I, I did that to my parents <laughs> I was just like <laughs> you're coming down we're watching this right. and I was like I was 14 or 15 years old you know and then to eventually in 10 years you know meet him and know him and know Thelma and right. you know it's just like it was crazy it was just like an amazing sort of circle and so I knew I kind of knew what I was doing I was like okay I, I think I made the right choice I mean yeah. I question it you question it every day but you still when you talk about it like this you're like oh right yeah right this is why you I know? love it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I,
0: I wonder too just about like kids growing up you know nowadays like with streaming and all everything is so deliberate like you have to you have to click on the movie you want to watch or the show you want to watch, and you know, kind of seek it out. Whereas, like when we were growing up, like you said, you know, Turner Classic Movies or AMC or you know, even like TBS oh, and TNT, channel, like yeah, yeah, you just or not
1: even that. Like, in, if you're in New York, New Jersey, just right. watching like WKx Channel Eleven, yeah, or, you and you just know, it
0: was all these cheap shows that like they yeah. could they could just play them, and you know, oh, Three and Stooges and yeah, and, and Little Rascals, yeah. yeah, yeah. You just sort of just when and you're it, bored it was, as a kid, sort of like, it
1: was sort of like. Roulette, you know, it yeah. was just like whatever's on. Okay, I want to watch, and you would just kind of randomly find things that you loved. Yeah, yeah. for sure.
0: And, and it sounds like you were a lot more deliberate about that <laughs> than a lot of us. But even just for me growing up, no, like I having like that, people. having that reference no, I point. I was like
1: an indoor girl. I yeah. was I loved. I I wasn't a kid that liked to go play outside. I I, I have asthma. You know, I had. I I was like, I like to stay inside, and I you know would just sit on the floor in front of the TV. Like I was going to jump into it. My mom said she used to say, "You look like you were just jump in," you know, and just. <laughs> And just escape into all these stories, any story, you know, yeah. and just, oh, I did that too. I think there was, I think there's a beauty in the the randomness that people don't have anymore.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting yeah. sort of to see, you know, where, where that's these what, kids end up and what their reference points are, because yeah, it is, it is so kind of scattered now. Um, I do want to ask you just about one last thing and that's, uh, you know, you've, you've worked with Genji a lot. Uh, I, you have, you're doing a new show with her sort of yeah. in this quarantine time, right?
1: Yes. Yes, we've been working on a new show called Social Distance. Yep. Um, which is an anthology series and we are casting it and filming it remotely. Wow. Obviously casting it remotely, filming it remotely in that there will be no crew members when the actors are filming. They're filming themselves with equipment that we're sending them. Yep.
0: Is it a um, drama? Is it a comedy? Like what's
1: it's both. It's both. Yep. I mean it's the anthology, so every episode is different. Gotcha. Okay and they and everything's about i mean the thing is we started this before uh george floyd was murdered and so this was mainly to deal with the covid yep um the pandemic and how people because also it's about you know i also am, i'm i'm like very covid literate and so like everybody's calling it quarantine yeah we're we're self-isolating we were self-isolating it's yep. not quarantine unless you're diagnosed and then you have to quarantine yourself right um but uh yeah so it's just trying to sort of reflect we were doing what we were doing when we started and we're still doing now is try to reflect the reality of since since march since all this stuff happened and the different you know different storylines that can happen with people different you know um situations people are going to find themselves in while they're self-isolating work quarantining or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, and, and to make sure that being able to produce it virtually safe, like nobody. So my job is to cast actors that, or I know that are together, you know, that either in in any kind of partnership, familial situation, roommate situation, people that have been staying together. So nobody's exposed to anybody
0: you know, gotcha. there's
1: no new actors being introduced into the space or anything.
0: So there will be scenes yeah. with people playing off each other in the same space, oh, oh, but it's just yeah, people yeah. That, that are living together at this point. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: That are related to each other, but they may not be playing the, like they're related to each other. You know what I mean? Like they're, yep. they might be playing different parts of the story. But, um, so it's, it's really been interesting and, um, it's a challenge for the actors, but they're all stepping up and it's fun and and makes you know, and again, it's safe and it's just, you know, it's an experiment really, you know, and, and bless Genji and our showrunner, Hillary Graham, who, who, um, who thought of trying to do like, like, what could we do during a a pandemic, you know, what can we do during a pandemic, still be creative but produce it from our 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 own homes you know cast it from you know my house and get the actors involved and you know get them all the equipment they need and then and then be directed virtually right. you know like we have our directors and our dps and stuff while they're shooting you yeah, know, talking to them and directing them. It's scripted. The actors have lines. It's not their real life. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great. It's been fun. You know, it's definitely it's challenging and it's fun. And each story is different. And um, and it's just kind of great, you know? Yeah. So, it is,
0: it's a Netflix show.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So does that will it will it be like a traditional Netflix where like they kind of they all have to get, you know, edited and then they all drop on one date? or Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I, I don't know the exact plan, but yeah. We're, we're, it's just like any TV show we're editing as we're shooting. And then when they decide when it's going to come out, you know, probably before the year ends, certainly. Yeah. And, um, and it's going to be eight episodes and, um, and, uh, and I've gotten some, you know, great people that I can't tell you about. Um, <laughs> and, uh, for fear of Ted Sarandos or (laughs) like walking into, in my house. Um, I'll
0: just have to tune in then that's (laughs)
1: well. Yeah. Or you'll see announcements or whatever. It's just, again, I've just been lucky to know because I grew up with all, so many of these actors, like I said, I know kind of who's together and who lives together, who's roommates, who's who have kids and all different, you know, um, combinations, not just like husband and wife, husband, husband, wife, wife, but like, you know, um, roommates, mother, you know, do, uh, parent, yep. child acting actors, kind of everything that you can think of. So
0: That's cool. Yeah, it, it's it's wild just sort of, as we were talking about it at the beginning of this, like when, when all of this quarantine stuff first started or, you know, the pandemic first, first happened in March, like in my head, I was like, okay, it's maybe a month, month and a half, two months. And, you know, even this show started a month and a half ago and sort of at that time in like mid-May, it was like, how long can this go for? Like, are people going to be sick of, of talking about the pandemic, you know, a month from now? And you just sort of realize like, we're, we're barely at the beginning of this right now. Like this. Oh, is, I knew that back then. Um, yeah. Like I
1: said, I'm a, I'm a science geek and I read like science magazines and stuff and science and websites and stuff. And so I had heard about, um, what was going on in Wuhan in January. And I was, I was kind of fascinated by it because any kind of infectious stuff always uh, I I've had health problems and stuff and yeah. and, I an, and I have an immune disorder so I'm always kind of just keeping up with as much things as many things as I can and I so I I remember reading about it and then when I heard how they suspected it had gone from you know animal you know uh animal to human and it and then they then they started to say like you know either a bat or and some other animal You know, picked up with something bad. Then it reminded me of Contagion, which I which I had seen. You know, when it came out and scared the hell out of me. And I was watching Contagion in January. I was because I was like, oh, that's like what happened in Contagion. I'm just gonna watch it. And it was really instructional. Like it's crazy if you go back and watch it, which I guess people had done since. But when I watched it, I was like, my mom is a nurse, so I remember calling. She was like, because I was just I was talking about. The corona, this coronavirus, COVID, whatever you want. I, I think I was calling it coronavirus then. But I was obsessed with it. And I kept bothering my mother and many friends, um, unfortunately, <laughs> like telling them about it. And they're like, will you stop? Like, we don't want, your OCD is like out of control. Um, my mom's like, stop talking about it. So right. so when I watched Contagion, it was really amazing because you realize how accurate Steven Soderbergh and his, you know, the, the epidemiologist he wrote it with was because you're watching, you're going, oh yeah, Gwen. Gweneth is just putting her hands in the bar peanuts, and then she's handing her credit card to somebody. You know, like you're yeah. you, you really tracks everything, and like the elevator, but like all this stuff. So even early on, I was like telling my friends, I was like, be really careful about elevators. Like I was just like taking it like the contagion is like sort of like a, a like I learned what the R not was from Kate Winslet. I mean, it's really an informational film if you watch it if you want to you know hear you know see continue like right right really see how something can get this out of control i never expected it to do this you yeah. know i knew it was going to be bad in asia but not even thinking about how small our world has become in terms of travel and getting around and how easily things like this can be right. you know spread so yeah. so so yeah i mean so i knew it was going to be bad when the kind of like mid-february things started getting out of control over in asia i was like oh boy you know this is going to be not good. But I never never I don't think anybody well, if we had had our pandemic team still in right. place that, that Trump fired, that would have helped a lot in yeah. giving us a little bit of a heads up. But obviously we weren't, and I think most people know my politics, so <laughs> I won't get into it, but that would have been a big help. Right. Um to prepare us because we were completely, you know, blindsided by this. Yeah. Um by just information. To,
0: yeah, and to think it's it's late June now and the curve Hasn't really flattened here in the U.S. Still, but this is
1: nothing. And you have to also understand any kind of new virus. I'm not going to get too scientific, but you know we don't know enough about it, and we haven't had enough time with it to tell you. Not we can't even tell you that people who've had it who who have antibodies how long those antibodies will protect them because we haven't. You know they're like. We don't know if they last past two months because we haven't been past two months. There's no way to, do. we don't have a vaccine. when we do get a vaccine, we don't know how long those antibodies are going to last. Are you going to be able to get it like a flu shot? Are you going to need a booster? Are you going to need to get it, you know, once every three years, we don't know any of this. And it's only been three months or four months now. And people are, can't even sit still for that long right. you know I can't even wear masks and can't even understand or, or abide by social distancing and it's turned into just this nightmare you know yeah. and the longer people resist this and 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 we're such a selfish selfish race and so and in need of instant gratification and and feel like we're being deprived because we can't go to a store or something right. or to a restaurant yeah unless it really starts Unless something happens or somebody puts into place that you really have to stop this, it's it's not going to stop. It's just going to get worse, right. you know, and everything's going to be held up, including every movie you want to see, every TV show you want to go back, you know, Yeah. all these things. So unfortunately, what's going on right now, this whole craziness, everything's spiking, you know, all over as we're reopening. You're seeing places are reopening. The numbers go up. So it's, you know, we're not ready to yeah. to reopen. So, again, that's why. In term when you talk about reopening Hollywood, if that's what you want to say, um, you know, I can't imagine. I, ju- I just can't. You know, so how long it'll be? It might not be for a couple of years. Yeah. And people and people don't want to hear that. You right. know, and they, they tell you you're crazy and you're paranoid and you're, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. But I know how viruses spread. I mean, yeah. you just. I mean, I knew that when I was in school. Right. <laughs> yeah. The ignorance and also it doesn't help. Like, obviously, they don't have a government that is concerned about the welfare right. of our, our citizens as opposed to the economy. Right. And you have, to, and, and listen, I get it. People have to work too. I mean, it's,
0: there's, hope so there's a balance there though, right? I mean, of just sort of looking at the facts and the data and saying, okay, if we need to get back to work, here's how we do it safely. And it feels like, you know, from the president on day, you know, other, governors but and everyone co- too, it's but yeah. other
1: countries that have had this, they're, I mean, you can look this up. They're paying, they're giving, those governments are paying their citizens almost all of their yearly salaries, even if they're not going to work. Right. So they're giving them their So they're not worried about money. Then they don't feel that need that they have to, you know, they don't have the economic pressure. Other countries are doing that. Yeah. We we don't do that. They gave people $1,200 and said, good luck. Yeah. You know, and, that's why, unless something happens, I don't know how, we're so big, I don't know how, you know, how it's going to go back to normal. Not, not to mention, it'll never go back to normal, but it's not even about how or or when. It's just like, I have no, I can't, I mean, nobody can predict it, really. No, but not even the doctor can predict it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was on the phone with my immunologist this morning and she's and she knows the top immunologists in the country and there's really no, there's no consensus because because the virus is going to tell us it's going to be the thing to lead us and tell us when we can function as a, a species again, right. you know, without getting each other sick and killing each other. Yeah. Anyway, that's well, my yeah. like PSA for this uh, podcast. I'm,
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. And, you know, I guess in the meantime, it's, uh, you know, we make, we make TV shows at home, like like you and Jenji yeah. are doing with, with social distance and, you know, yeah. and, and <laughs> figure I just out read more of those. They, and I
1: just read that Netflix picked up this whole thing that um, lots of directors made short films in their own homes that just came out too if you want to look it up oh cool um uh like i forgot the names but like Kristen, like direct directors that you you know um have made short films in their homes just with the equipment that they have in their homes that's going to come out in, on netflix in, Ju- in june i think like june 30th um of short films so that's that'll be interesting you know i mean we'll just have to experiment until we're back to you know to some some semblance you know right
0: of, of of being able to put up a full production. All right, there we go. Jennifer Houston. You know what I love about this show is that it's just conversations and they go in directions that you didn't expect. You never know exactly what you're going to end up talking about. Jennifer, it turns out, is really into the viral stuff and she really understands it and it was great talking to her about coronavirus. Because clearly it's on my mind. I mean, I spent the whole beginning of the show <laughs> talking about that. So you guys, you know how I stand on it. But that was fun. And I'll definitely be looking for social distance on Netflix sometime soon. All right. New show on Thursday. I'm going to be talking to Rory Scoville. Rory is a stand-up comedian. And he actually has a show on Comedy Central that I talked with Payment Benz about a few episodes ago called Robbie. Robbie. Payman directed the show and was a producing director on it. Well, Rory created Robbie and plays Robbie. So I was really excited to talk to him. We dig into parenting, we dig into religion, we dig into stand up comedy. There's a lot in this conversation. It's going to be a good one. And that's coming up on Thursday. So I hope you come back for that. Please, it'll be fun. All right. Thank you for tuning in today. You know where to find me. I'm at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram, and please leave a rating, leave a review if you like the show. Really appreciate you sticking with it. I'll talk to you on Thursday. Everybody stay safe out there.